0: What's up Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins and on today's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021 edition, we're going to be going through some post-victory comments from head coach Brian Flores. We're going to be looking at some narratives around a couple of hot button issues with the 2021 Miami Dolphins. So pour yourself a coffee or a water or any other beverage of choice. sit down, kick your feet up, and let's enjoy a nice episode of Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Tuesday, November 9th. 2021 edition of Locked on Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and uh, pretty interested in today's conversation. want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Dolphins podcast listen of the day. And first and foremost, uh, I'm glad my voice is back. I had <laughs> a couple of people uh, who texted me yesterday on the Monday show. And they're like, "Yeah, man, what, what's going on? And I say, well, is it Hard Rocks team screaming my head off on Sunday? So uh, definitely feel like the the vocals are back in which a point in which uh, you're going to get a little bit more animated version of me. And I'm glad for that because uh, Pro Football Focus updated their all their numbers and metrics yesterday. And as it turns out, uh, the Dolphins have three players, three, that are tied at number one in the NFL. You're probably pretty excited unless you know this statistic already. Uh, Then you'll realize that being tied at number one is not a good thing. When Austin Jackson, Liam Eichenberg, and Jesse Davis are all tied for first place in the NFL with most pressures allowed with 37 apiece, 37 apiece, an
1: ungodly number through week nine of this season, obscene levels of pressure. And again, some of these, some of the identity of this team,
0: I should say, is scheme dependent. To protect the offensive line, RPOs designed to be a very quick decision. Offensive line blocks the run. The screen game, guys, take a one Mississippi, two step, get out of there, go get out in front. We're going to dump it off. If that's by design, it's not pressure.
1: And despite all that, you know, and Austin didn't play week one, and Liam was, uh, kind of pinballed around and wasn't a firm starter
0: until closer to the end of the first month of the season, 37 pressures apiece. And for Jesse Davis, I I think this says a couple of different things for Jesse Davis. We understand what Austin Jackson or what Jesse Davis is as a football player. We've known this situation of the caliber player that he is for quite some time. The perception was, well, he's a really good sixth offensive lineman because he can play four spots on the offensive line. He is experienced. He's been through some adversity. That's good. That's a good quality to have for a utility offensive lineman. The only people who seem to not know that Jesse Davis, you know, from an execution standpoint, I don't care how much he crushes in meetings. You put him on the field in real time, and he's a highly limited starting player when you ask him to be a star, We've known this. Everybody with a set of eyeballs other than the coaching staff knows this. Austin Jackson is a cautionary tale. Right. You know, good for him against Buffalo. He gave up no pressures against Buffalo, but he's given up at least four pressures in every game that's been played since. And he played tackle for weeks two, three, and four against the Bills, Raiders, and Colts. And in those three games, he gave up, not a math guy, 21 pressures in three games and the numbers have dipped modestly uh, since he's moved inside to guard, but the pressure rate is still alarmingly high, as evidenced by the fact that he's tied for number one in the NFL,
1: never mind the run pressure that he gives up to. But I think the one that points me in the direction that there's
0: problematic things going on here, and, and Jimmy Johnson was just on Joe Rogan show this morning. You know, it's Tuesday, November 9th. Highly recommend you guys go listen. Jimmy Johnson called in at like six forty-five, and he was talking about his own experiences in team building and what I loved what he had to say. And he said the only—I don't remember who he credited to—so make sure you go listen to the segment. He said the only position in the NFL in which I would rather have or that you you would rather have
1: a great coach than great players is your offensive line coach. Think about that. It's more valuable for the offensive line to have a great coach and adequate to above average to good players, you can't have liabilities anywhere on a football field. It's more valuable to have a good to great coach than good to great players. And it
0: makes sense because this is a unit of five that is codependent on one another, all being on the same page, having communication, all seeing the game through the same sets of eyes, All understanding what to do when the picture changes at the snap, before the snap, during the play. How to work combinations, how to make sure that you are completely in harmony with your feet. There's a lot of value to that offensive line coach. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Jimmy Johnson, Super Bowl winning coach, Jimmy Johnson, just said it on the air this morning. So think about that. And obviously, we know the story of Miami's offensive line coaches under the history of of Brian Flores. We've had four in three seasons, and this year's coach is a first-time offensive line coach. Never held the title of offensive line coach before. And then you juxtapose that with Liam Eichenberg. And this is where it tells me this is the, the core. You know, there, there's personnel problems as well. And I want to be abundantly clear because people are trying to peg me as some level of Chris Greer apologist. And I think Chris Greer has plenty of fair share for what's gone wrong in my head. But the number one issue for me is coach. And if you want to simple that, simplify that and boil it down and say, well, Chris Greer hired Brian Flores and everything that's coaching issues is Brian Flores. Okay, great. Go ahead and do that. Lee Meichenberg didn't allow a single sack in his last two seasons at Notre Dame. And he played with one of the most erratic quarterbacks in college football as it pertains to launch point, set point, getting outside the pocket, extending plays.
1: inbook was a maniac in the pocket. Maniac as a passer. Like some Johnny Manziel type stuff. Liam didn't allow a sack over his last two
0: years. Had one snarky comment when I made that observation on social media. Oh, well, I'm sure the level of competition got better. Yeah, you're right, it did. But there's a difference between facing better level of competition and being completely overwhelmed. You want to point to his length? or his, quote-unquote, lack of length as being problematic, okay, and maybe that's why long-term he will be a better guard than tackle. But at the same time, Liam Eichenberg was asked to learn right tackle, despite being a career left tackle at Notre Dame. And then after two months, asked to learn left guard because they were mad at Solomon Kim. And then they were unmad at Solomon Kinlan. They
1: moved him back to right tackle. And then Austin Jackson gets COVID and they move him back to left tackle. Then he's back to right tackle. And then three weeks later, he's back to left tackle. This is in a span of like four months. All of this happens. Maybe, hear me out. if, if If
0: having a good a great offensive line coach is more imperative than having great talent across your starting five offensive line. Again, not my opinion, but I agree with the take. And the guy who has that opinion damn well would have a better idea than I would given his credentials. Then this offensive line situation, you know, and and we've already made this observation, how can you possibly evaluate these guys? Like Jesse Davis, there's at least a body of work there. He's 80 or he's 30 years old. He's been in the league like seven, eight
1: years. You know what he is. You've seen, he's shown you what he is. Austin Jackson gets worse. Liam Eikenberg forgets how to pass protect. The only consistently good guy we've had up front is Robert Hunt.
0: So whatever changes
1: end up getting made when this thing is all said and done, my hiring process is going to be very, very focused on getting that position right. I would hope at this point, you know, even off the win against Houston, well, the
0: offense, again, a little underwhelming, I would hope that there are significant changes when we reach the end of the road because the way this season was supposed to go versus what we've seen is unacceptable. I think every single Dolphins fan would agree with that. And either those in charge have the come-to-Jesus moment and acknowledge the, the shortcomings and identify what the blind spots that allowed these shortcomings to happen, Or there are changes made. But it's pretty eye-opening to see those three guys at the top of the list. And it's not a coincidence, in my opinion, that those three guys – like these – Jesse Davis should be a replacement-level player. And if he's going to play, he's going to struggle. Austin Jackson, he's regressed at an alarming rate. Liam Eikenberg, he's only been here since April. And all three of these guys being where they are for me is a damnation on the system and those that are responsible for getting these guys ready to play because there's a lot of bad offensive linemen across the NFL, a lot of them. There's a lot of bad offensive line coaches across the NFL. To have that, those three being that level of bad transcends just, oh, you got a talent issue. There is something greater at foot. I'll tell you guys about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They got 100% chocolate on all of their bars. They're absolutely delicious. So when you're looking for something that's a meal replacement, something to grab and go, midnight snack, you name it, bill bar can be it. Right now you can visit billbar.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That's billbar.com, promo code LOCK15 to
1: save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. The next thing I
0: wanted to, to tackle Today and I I do want to get into uh, at least one comment that Brian Flores made, but we we got up on the soapbox here a little bit about the offensive line and the current situation. Is Jalen Phillips um, had himself a nice game against Houston, and I know that this has been a player that even beyond you know the the dynamics of the number six overall pick and what Miami chose to do at the top of the draft. There's a lot of Dolphins fans that have expressed concern, if you will, uh, regarding Jalen Phillips, uh, his play, his ability to win as a pass rusher. And I had, some, had seen somebody ask this stat, and I thought it was worthwhile to go and look And I'm going to read the stat. I I do want to acknowledge I understand this is not an efficiency rating. This is a volume rating. Uh, But it's not like Jalen Phillips is playing 100% of the snaps for the Dolphins on any given week. Right. So uh, it is looking at pressures, pass pressures. And Jalen Phillips, after week nine, has 20, is credited with 21 pressures. And I think that's tied for fifth. It's tied for fifth this year. And Jalen's doing that while playing 54% of the Dolphins' defensive snaps through the first nine weeks of the season. So I wanted to go back over the last couple of years and look at how many guys are creating more pressure than Jalen Phillips in their rookie season Through week nine. So the 2018 class, what pass rushers had more pressures than 21 through the first nine weeks? Same question for 2019, same question for 2020. And then obviously there's four guys this year who have more pressures uh, through weeks one and nine, because Jalen's tied for fifth. Those players this year in 2021 linebacker, Micah Parsons 27, Baltimore, edge rusher, Odafe Owe, first round pick at 30, 32, whatever it was that they picked. He has 24. New England Patriots defensive tackle, Christian Barmore, 23. These are drafted in the second round. And Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle, Osa Odigizua, with 23. So you've got four players from this past year's class that from weeks one through nine, had more pressure than Jalen. In the 2020 class, class that had Chase Young in it, there was not a single rookie defender who had more than 21 pressures in the first nine weeks. In 2019, there were two players Nick Bosa with 38, and Josh Allen. With 29, two top 10 selections, were the only two rookie defenders to have more pressures than 21 through the first nine weeks of the season. And then in 2018, there were only two who had more than 21 pressures in weeks one through nine of their rookie season in 2018. Bradley Chubb with 35 and Kamoko Ture with 25. So in the last four years of draft classes, there are only eight defenders who have created more pressures in weeks one through nine. Now there's some that are tied. Be transparent. So you're tied for ninth. And rookie pressures created in weeks one through nine over the last four seasons. Jalen Phillips is going to be fine, guys. He's going to be perfectly fine. And if he comes out against Baltimore, Orlando Brown Jr. stonewalls him a little bit, he doesn't have a lot of pressure, he doesn't find success. You know what? It's not the end of the world. You would like Jalen to help you win these football games. But if we look at the big picture of everything that's going on, Jalen's not the problem. The choice of Jalen's not the problem. And I just got done watching Najee Harris last night. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, go out and be a central piece of the Pittsburgh offensive attack and have 22 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. 2.82 yards per carry. Must have been four or five occasions on a third and one or a fourth and one in which they gave the ball to Najee and he got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. 150 carries for 3.6 yards per carry across the entire season. And if that's the alternative that you want to point to and said, man, at, 20, or at eighteen, we should have drafted Najee Harris. If you think Najee's helping us win more football games this year than Jalen Phillips is, I don't know what to tell you. Because we just spent the first 12 minutes of today's show explaining how bad this offensive line is and that the core issue isn't going to go away until you make changes from the
1: hierarchy. Najee's averaging 3.6 on 150 carries in Pittsburgh. What do you think
0: he's doing here? He'd be looking like Malcolm Brown trying to convert on fourth down over here, and we'd all be losing our minds. It's a super toxic situation right now. And I don't know how – I don't know if they're going to be able to to break the wheel. Obviously, you look at the remaining schedule – and you look at after Baltimore, you get a, a little mini bye. And then you get a chance to play four, let's call them winnable games, with the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, and the Jets again. And I do think they win enough games that they they catch San Francisco. But like the, the core issues with this team aren't just going to go away because guys just – are going to magically start playing better because they're not being put in positions. They're not being developed appropriately. And that for me is the core reason again, of why this is a coaching issue. And it's the same thought process that I have with the whole debate we had three weeks ago about Waddle versus Pitts versus chase. You put chase in this offense is going to be the worst of those three guys. You take Najee Harris and put him behind this offensive line, I guarantee you nobody's sitting here pounding the table for Najee Harris being an elite running back or top-level talent. His durability is amazing. His usage on the year is tremendous. And I love Najee Harris, the football players. He's played 86% of the offensive snaps for Pittsburgh this year. He's going to be that kind of player for a really long time. And as that offensive line gets better and they have a quarterback who threatens a little bit more the entire field, Ben's not that guy anymore. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. That offense is going to open up, and he's going to have a chance to really showcase himself and succeed. But why can't we have that same mentality with some of the guys that we have here that it's just easier to be mad about everything and bemoan everything? Because I think that's what's coming, but you have to understand what changes need to be made, and that's the hard part. You got to look at the entire picture, and you got to make those judgment calls uh, for yourself. If you are Brian Flores with your coaching staff, or Chris Greer with your player personnel department, or your Steven Ross with those two guys I just mentioned, you got to know what to do there, and that's the hard part. Dolphins fans, we got an incredible app for everyone who buys gas. You need to know about Get Upside. Listeners are making up to twenty five cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code Touchdown to get a bonus twenty five cents per gallon on your first fill up. It's up to fifty cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Touchdown to get up to fifty cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars to $300 a month in cash back. There's no cash. Cash gets added right to your account. You can cash out at any time using your bank
1: account, PayPal, or an e-gift card such as Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. Last thing I wanted to touch on today was some comments on Monday by Brian Flores. And he was asked about guys like
0: Hunter Long and, uh, knowing and asked why those guys aren't playing, why they're not dressing at times, why they are not getting more action on the field. And coach alluded to each one of those players being in a really deep, Uh, Position room with the tight ends, obviously, with with Hunter Long and the corners with with Noah, who's only had a chance really to play when guys have gone down and multiple guys
1: have gone down. Which makes the comments that were made.
0: Earlier this offseason about not saying the rebuild is over but saying the guys that are here are going to be the guys that help us determine whether or not we're going to be successful. Yikes.
1: That's not a great endorsement of yourself based on how the season's gone thus far. If that's your thought process, wouldn't you want to
0: pick guys that are going to help you have a more complete roster And the Igbenogany thing was one thing. And I understand the thought process there, but the Hunter Long ones really bothered me. And Hunter Long is going to end up catching heat from this fan base for something that's completely out of his control. Everybody wanted a running back.
1: I wanted a running back. In the third round, at the very least, if Trey Sermon's there for you, take him. But they end up drafting Hunter Long instead. And now the kid can't even dress...
0: And they're, they're carrying five tight ends on the active roster, which is just an obscene number to begin with. And Hunter Long is going to end up kind of embodying for a lot of fans like the, uh, the stubbornness of this coaching staff with the running back position. Just like Noah does in 2020 with their decision not to draft him any of the backs when they had the entire running back class on the board for them with the 30th overall pick. And that's a tough place to be because now you're always going to be measured against what could have been had, regardless of the fact that it's in different situations and different environments and heaven help Hunter. If they end up, you know, they keep this regime in place and they make some dumb decision with Mike Gusecki and let him walk because you have Hunter long. And that was the process, the thought process. Oh no, no, th- this can't happen. So I look at Stephen Carter could completely take him or leave him as a piece on the roster. Would prefer to save the money for being honest. Durham Smythe contract year, I'm not making an effort to bring him back. Adam Shaheen, like, if we're going to make the most of the Hunter Long selection, then we need to go ahead and and make sure he is the heir to the inline role, but that is not precluding him from being impactful or, or from Mike being impactful and being a part of the piece of the puzzle for this team. But it's just very odd to me that you drafted this guy in the third round and he can't even dress on game day because he's being held back by Durham Smythe and Seaton Carter. And then your mentality after the draft and the offseason is coming to a close is the guys who are here are going to be the guys that we ride with. This was our hand selected crop and group. And you can't run the ball worth the lick. Miles Gaskins regressed from a vision standpoint. He's coming to a dead stop when he's got room to run. And if your mentality is, yeah, we're going to win now, then why'd you draft the fifth tight end? And obviously there's you know, Chris Greer as the GM, just like Brian Flores has to wear it for everything that goes wrong on the field. Chris Greer has to wear it. When everything goes wrong in player personnel and the draft process. But you heard the video, right? You saw the phone call when they drafted Hunter. Beef Low all jazzed up first. BC Eagle we're bringing into the program under my watch. It's the messiness there and it's the collaborative effort that right now has me inclined to think if you're going to make changes, you got to change the hierarchy from the top down you got to bring somebody in who has experience in finishing the job and, and building winners, and you got to bring a head coach in who has experience and is well-connected with this league so much so that he can build a very, very strong assistant coaching staff and is going to have guys that want to come down here and work with him to help finish the job because there is so much potential here. Austin Jackson, physically speaking, super talented. I'm concerned about the duration that has come since he came into the program and what that will or won't mean for his long-term development and his staying power. Physical talent exists here. But again, I think that's, that's kind of all, all of these storylines for me are kind of building into, as I look at this team, and I ask myself some hard questions, I'm probably a proponent of changing both of the prominent leadership positions uh, at the end of the season. And, of course, that becomes a completely different and messy proposition when we know what the Dolphins reportedly have eyes on doing with the quarterback position. And I don't think that's just a Chris Greer trying to save his job type thing. I think there's more pressure and interest and, and buzz in creating that kind of move uh, than just the desperation of a season gone awry. We'll find out though. Make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. and am Kyle Krabs. Thanks as always for listening. You guys make it a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow with a crossover edition. Cause we got Thursday night football
1: crossover Wednesday with Locked on Ravens. Looking forward to it. Hope to talk to you then. Fins up.